podcast this week. Our guest is snowed in. Oh, that's that's a shame. I thought the weather was pretty mild. I guess this means to be the first podcast we've ever had without a guest. That's kind of weird. Oh, oh, I misread that. Oh, okay. Oh, I see what I've done now. Okay. On the Emperor Podcast this week, our guest is the director of Snowden, Oliver Stone. Yes, he pops at the pod booth, plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that, yes, tried that. <laughs> really did make that joke. It really went for it. On purpose. Really, really went for it. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning who, like Edward Snowden, feel it's their duty to blow the whistle on a moral behaviour wherever they see it. First up is our geek queen, a lady who blew the whistle on the CW. When it came to her attention, they were planning an episode of Supernatural <laughs> where Sam and Dean do not take their shirts off. Happily, she stepped in in time. Disaster was averted. <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. You still haven't seen an episode. Hello, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen episode synopses, so... None I of feel... which involve shirtlessness, because... There is no shirtlessness. They do now, because I went on Wikipedia last night, <laughs> Helen, and I edited every single synopsis of every episode of Supernatural. Hooray! Was I How wearing much? a shirt when I did it? Oh, no. I can't tell you, listeners, but yes. And next up is our resident Steven Spielberg expert, uh, and I'm going to blow a whistle on him, because this is a man who I've been digging through his files, I've been doxing him, and uh, and turns out he thinks that Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a fan-made film which came out a few years ago, is the best Indiana Jones film. That can't be true, can it, Ian Freer? It is true, and to be honest, I've been hiding in the Bolivian embassy ever since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, oh no, that's Assange, isn't it? That's the wrong right, That's right. the wrong whistleblower. I've got the... <laughs> yeah, Russian embassy, Bolivian embassy, it's so difficult to keep them straight. Uh, yeah. Which embassy is he in? It's the Ecuadorian, isn't it? Like, He's who knows? In, yeah. Who knows where he is? Championships. Yeah. <laughs> he could be hiding in this room. We wouldn't know. No. We, we probably would. Know. It's no. a very small room. He could be hiding under the desk. It's Benedict Cumberbatch, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's not true, Ian. You don't believe that uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull no, is the I, best I, Indiana Jones movie? I firmly believe that the Indiana Jones movies go in the order that they were made. From Raiders, in terms of quality, Raiders is the best. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is the least best. <laughs> He's so diplomatic. Wow. Uh, that's. Uh, I have a that's, lot of affection for Holy Grail, but you, you're. Pro- oh, sorry, Last Crusade, <laughs> different film. Uh, <laughs> but you're probably not wrong. I will. I will go I, with you on I, that. I think that's, that's a controversial one, Ian. I, I think it's absolutely not controversial. I don't I think, think it it's is. controversial. because yeah. I think for years everybody was like, it's Raiders and then uh, Last Crusade and then Temple of Doom. Yes. There's been a switch. In yes. the last five, six years. Yes, when people now realise that Last Crusade is a Roger Moore, James Bond movie in disguise. But a really fun one. A very good one. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna let that pass for the time being. Last Crusade is a fantastic film and possibly my favourite of the four. And yeah, yeah, I said it. You went I said there. it. Oh. Yes, I am a woke bay. That, Chris, that, that's, not, that... that's not how you use that phrase. No? No. No. <laughs> So we should probably... Helen's been trying to teach me how to use I've been trying that to, phrase. Yeah, it's it's really... Woke basically means like sort of socially, culturally, politically aware of your privilege yes. and, Hello. you know... me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and angry about the systemic and injustices oh. in the world. Is, is Bay, is that a hottie? Bay is actually an acronym for before all else or before all... Oh. Yeah, something like that. So um, so it's basically not just your, your favourite person. I, I think a lot of people assume it's a, it's a contraction somehow of the one-syllable word babe, yeah. but it is in fact 
an acronym for before all else. So, so it's, it's you, the, the person you would put above all others. So used together, that means it means uh, it, it means uh, Chris Evans. It means uh, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo. Uh, it means okay. people like that. It, what, it just what means are hot, you? Offen- hot Avengers, basically, is <laughs> what you're saying. But no, hot, politically aware, politically active. You know. All Just, Avengers are politically aware. I know they are. That was why. So I tweeted earlier this week, who is the wokest bay in the MCU? And like, it was a massive discussion because people have very strong feelings on who is most woke. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, see, now this was beginning to make some sense to me. So you tweeted, you meant the actors, not the, the characters. I meant the actors, yeah. Characters, okay. it's probably Vision or Cap. I would say it's it's oh god here we go again but it's 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 cap it's cap but because Chris Evans is quite he's quite Wookie Bay isn't he he's he, uh, yeah. he's he's the Wookiest of the Bays you're still using it wrong yes I, I'm a Wookie Bay <laughs> <laughs> you are a Wookie Bay that is yeah. that is absolutely right <laughs> um, interesting interesting yeah thank you Helen for that insight no I, I I know what that phrase means of course you do I've used yeah, it I, many times on Twitter I, I'm still none the wiser to be honest I'm now going back to delete all the tweets because <laughs> I got it wrong um, but that's interesting cool yeah so, thank you very much indeed for that uh, so we have a question here's a question this week's question it's from uh, Twitter it's from at Andy M1415 <laughs> catchy made up name Made up name, uh, the son, the son of the proud, Mister and Mrs M one four one five, and uh, he asks Andrew Moss is his name. How many times have Batman's parents actually been killed? And is there anyone else who has died as often? Okay, let's take the first part of that question. Okay. Yep. Can we thank the films of which we see the parents go? Okay. So. so- Batman v Superman call on Dawn of Justice yeah yep. Burton's Batman no, yep. no he plays with it mm. or at least the opening oh. of the film plays with it where he has another couple with a young kid outside That's a theatre right, being menaced because it was already a cliche in 1989 <laughs> That's just saying true. Okay. That's true so what other films is Batman Begins where uh, Batman's dad is played by Linus Roach Linus which Roach, means yes. of course as we all know that Ken Barlow from Coronation Street is Batman's <laughs> granddad <laughs> which is kind of amazing and you keep expecting Batman to turn up on Coronation Street on the cobbles yeah in the rovers old chuck oh get yourself a pint is that how they speak I'm Batman I must go down Okay, so re- but really then, it's only three times, two or three times we've seen Batman's parents die? That's not too bad, is it? That's, That's all well, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. But it did give rise to one of the great cosplays, which is a couple who go around Comic-Con every year, dressed in just respectable clothing and a string of pearls, in, in the lady's case, not the man's. And uh, every cosplayer they see dressed as Batman, they run up to him and shout, son, and then drop dead at his feet. That's amazing. Really? Yeah. That's inspired. It's amazing. That's kind of awesome. It's like the guy who dressed as Captain America. At a recent Comic Con, I'm not sure it was the Comic Con, but it was at a Comic Con, and he's dressed as Captain America, and he just hung out inside a lift all day, and every <laughs> he would just wait for the lift to get a full up, and then he would say, "Before we get started, does anyone want to get out?" <laughs> and I don't think he actually, I don't think he actually started beating, beating up people. Up, yeah. uh, are you sure? I, you know, because I, I don't know the other Batman movies that well. Um, to my shame, I don't know Batman uh, Returns that well. Yes. As I thought, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne are in Batman Forever. So, presumably, played by Michael Scranton and Eileen Seeley. So, presumably, 
they get killed in that as well. Yes, because okay. Pang and Batman Forever is the one where he's going to the psychiatrist, isn't yes. it? Yes. Um, Dr. Chase by, Meridian. Dr. Chase Meridian, <laughs> played Kidman. by Dr. Nicole Kidman. I don't know the Batman movies that well, but I know that character name. That, that <laughs> yeah. will stay with me until I die. Uh, Dr. Chase Meridian, yes. Yeah, so Michael Scranton and Eileen Seeley. And of uh, course, they're played most recently by Lauren Cohen and uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Mm-hmm. Right. So, And what about the animated versions? Do the Batman's parents tell Oh, I that? think they might actually, but I'm trying to remember which one. Mm. Um... There was one I watched recently because I've been trying to go through them all. Oh, it, all well, of them? well done me. All of them, every single one. Not all, like not every episode of every. Like Mask like, of Phantasm and yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Under the Red Hood, which of course, as you know, stars Dean Winchester. There's a lot of links it's... actually between the Waynes and the Winchesters. You know, if Papa Wayne is also Papa Winchester, then oh my word, yeah. Does he take a shirt off at any point? Who, Papa Wayne? Papa Winchester. Papa Wayne doesn't have a lot of time, in fairness. Although you wouldn't have put it past Zack Snyder for him to be oiled and sweaty. It's cold in Gotham City. You're not taking this shit off, are um, yeah. Uh, no, I don't believe he's ever topless. Okay. I think Linus Roach is the one who has the most impact because he's the one who's actually given lines and you get a sense of what he meant to Bruce Wayne as he was growing up and, you know, he has that line, you know, mm-hmm. be pick, you know, what do we... Why do we pick ourselves up? Why do we fall? So, so we, we pick can ourselves pick up ourselves again? up. Yeah. That, well, that line that embedded itself in my memory. That one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he's very good in that film. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I like him. Yeah. Did you know that he was the the uh, the, the the lawyer when the Law and Order got cancelled? He was he was the one. He was the sort of assistant DA, Mike Cutter, when it got cancelled, season twenty. I'll be honest. I, Just I, one season shy of the record. I don't watch Law and Order. Did you know that a lot of uh, public defenders in the US hate it because it gives audiences the impression that prosecutors are always in the right? Apparently there's a genuine Law and Order effect that oh, yeah? jurors okay. who watch oh, Law yeah. and Order are tougher on mm-hmm. um, Did you know that uh, demon hunters hate Supernatural? Did you know that? Yeah. Because it gives the impression that all demon hunters are, are you know, gorgeous and take their shirts off a lot. That's right. Do you know that, Helen? Yeah, I So did, you yeah. attack my show, I'll attack your all show. All right, you do that. That's the way it works around so, here. Oh. I, haven't, I haven't seen one episode of Law and Order. What? Not one. And my, bang, my, bang. <laughs> um, my impression is, is it right that the first half of it is the law, so it's yes. cops, yeah. then the second half goes the into, order. <laughs> is the legal... It's, it's also the law, in NYPD Blue for the first half and LA Law for yeah. the second half. It should be that's called Law and Law. Basically, <laughs> it should be that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great show. Right. It's, it's, it's fine. It's a very, very good show. It's okay. Uh, it's a great show. Right. <laughs> you can attack me where I live. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very good. Sam Waterson's amazing as Jack McCoy, crusading lawyer stroke DA and then it got cancelled anyway but back uh, to the second part of the second part of of this question who has died the most yes I am going to have a punt for Uh Wiley Coyote (laughs) (laughs) he dies about four times every three minutes in those (laughs) I mean death is a transient idea it is it is but but technically also how many how many seasons of South Park have we had now because Kenny Uh, has got to be up there that's a shout yeah, Kenny, um, Kenny's up there. Although, if I'm right in thinking that they kind of stopped, they've stopped killing Kenny a long time ago. I've, no, certainly not every episode. Right. And the whole idea of South Park, if, if there's a there's an episode where it's revealed that Kenny is actually immortal, and 
uh, is some sort of living god and has to go through this sort of Sisyphean yeah. torture of being killed every single week. Full um, disclosure, I've never seen an episode of South. No, I have. I have. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But uh, also... <laughs> okay. We, we actually had this second part of the discussion quite recently. Did we? Yeah, Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange dies like yeah. a thousand yeah. times mm-hmm. in that in that spoiler Oh, wait, that was a spoiler. Let me go back and It's start been out five week. weeks. I think we can... Really? Okay. Anyway. Everyone who listens to this podcast has seen that film. All right, fine. Yeah. So and Doctor Strange, a uh, thousand or so times. And when we discussed that, of course, we discussed uh, an episode of Doctor Who, where mm-hmm. the good Doctor also dies a thousand times mm-hmm. or so. And... It's the same in Supernatural. Supernatural! Yeah. Booyah! They've hey. been to heaven, hell and purgatory. Who, and I... Dean has died at least a thousand times. I know he died a lot, Helen. Who's that? Lin-Manuel Miranda. He hasn't. He died on stage every night, didn't he? No. No? No, famously not. That's not what I heard. Oh. (laughs) You come at Law & Order, I'll come at you. That's how it works. (laughs) That's the Chicago way. (laughs) Bang, bang. (laughs) Well, today's going well. Anyway, um, yeah. Bill Cage, Edge of Tomorrow, also dies a lot in screen, on screen. Phil Connors, Groundhog yes. Day, you know, you yes. extrapolate yep. that he dies by how many times? A thousand times, ten thousand times, who knows? Who knows? But across different movies. Right. People dying across different <laughs> movies. I mean, it's got to be kind of the obvious contenders, hasn't it? You know, films in which there's been a lot of remakes or films about or big, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. He dies a lot. Uh, how many times in, how many Sherlock Holmes movies have there been where Moriarty dies? Yep. Yeah, Hamlet. How many Hamlet movies have there been? How many Macbeth movies have there been? How many, yeah. how many movies? You know, people. Dracula. Dracula. Yes. Dracula <laughs> has had to have died. He's lots. one of the most filmed characters, and you know, he always dies at least once. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's got to be Dracula. And uh, yeah. Dracula, played by Sean Bean, has died oh my so God. many times. <laughs> Especially if you consider Sean Bean's playing. It's like Kenny. Sean Bean's the same character. He's the same person in every single movie, every single TV show. He's just playing himself. Oh, bloody hell, been killed again. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Dracula, definitely. Uh, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. That's a good question. Helen, Helen's come up with it. Yeah. Dracula. Helen rules. Dracula. And before people yeah. um, write in, that's a deliberate mispronunciation. People have actually been correcting me in my pronunciation of Dracula. Yeah. Can you believe it? I know. It rhymes with Trianglia. What is it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. I don't even know where I got Dracula from. This I'm, I'm quoting something. Maybe Bottom, maybe Rick Mayall and Bottom, who says suicide as suicide. <laughs> anyway. 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 Uh, thank you oh, for your question. I'll soon be reading your, you googly. <laughs> Can I say I prepped a question about body swaps okay. that we were asked. And my body swap film is called Cockney Rebel. Where Danny Dyer becomes Tom Hiddleston, and Tom Hiddleston <laughs> becomes Danny Dyer, and it's directed by Mike Lee and a posh director. <laughs> oh my God, we could, yeah. you know, this isn't something we could, we could probably do this. We could yeah. probably facilitate this for like a feature in the mag, you know, like Wife Swap, but Life Swap, where we get Danny Dyer yeah. to be Loki. Oh, Thor, you muppet! You know, yeah. that'd be amazing. This is, and, uh, yeah. yeah, I Tom, mean, after Tom his... Hiddleston talking about severe reddies in very. <laughs> Keiko Baco. <laughs> be amazing. I'd yeah, I'd yeah. see that. Wow. Uh, I I'm mean, all for uh, it. to be honest, after the Who Do You Think You Are this week, um, I think he's never been more popular, Danny Dyer. So. Yeah. 
you know if people haven't seen that check that out it's so funny yeah. it's so warm it's terrific I really want to see it um, it's yeah. been recommended to me by, by everybody yeah. so also a 90 second version came around on Twitter I saw that very very funny there are, there are 90 second yeah. versions of um, for the American listeners who don't know who Danny Dyer is he's something of a national treasure he is <laughs> a he is an actor uh, he is a raconteur he is a, a man of letters uh, usually the first three because he didn't get past that Oh, oh come, on, come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! He, he got the D. Of course, he yeah, got the D. He, he, for a long time, he was kind of. It seems to me, he was kind of a despised actor. Yeah, he was in low-budget gangster movies. Dreadful, mm-hmm. dreadful shit. Then he moved into uh, a British soap called Descenders. Yeah, and it's kind of turned him around a little yeah. bit. Yeah, spot on. Now, what he uh, what he did is um, a few years ago as well. He did like Danny Dyer's football gaffes and stuff like that. Yeah, videos. Where he'd be like, you know, yeah. be high lodge. He'd be he'd be gazing yeah. in an app, going, yeah. "Oh, whoa, look at this melon!" Yeah. And then and then someone did a 60, 90 second compilation of Lowe's. It's really really funny. Yeah, uh, and he's a, he's a natural. Yeah, we love yeah we love him. He loves language. He's brilliant with language. He's yeah, he's very inventive. Good old yeah. Danny Dyer. So that's how Danny Dyer is. Um, that's an awesome idea. That's an awesome idea. Right, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and treat it with the uh, respect it deserves, uh, you can tweet us. Twitter us? No. Twitter? Tweet? Tweet? Tweet! You can tweet us like a woke bay uh, to at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, you can Facebook us as well. We're Empire Magazine and that. And you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. Right. Should we have some um, movie news? Let's talk about Let's some movie news. Let's do it. Yes, I have, I have much to say this week. <laughs> Okay, what's it what, what involving? Well, I, I have floated on this podcast before the idea that some films should just be left alone. Uh-huh. You know, we don't go around making remaking Casablanca. That's just a thing that everyone agrees is just a bad idea and let's not. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, in that vein, someone's decided that what we really need is a new take on Little Shop of Horrors. One of the greats. I will hear no argument on this point, so don't even at me. Um, <laughs> what's <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it, th- there's apparently going to be a new one coming, uh, a new adaptation of the musical by the great Alan Menken and the great late Howard Ashman as well. Um, it was made into a movie in 1986 by Frank Oz with uh, Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, Bill Murray was in there for really no reason, but we were all glad to see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's delightful and wonderful, and you should see it if you haven't already. And so now they're planning to do uh, another one. Now, Greg Berlanti uh, has not had the best luck on the big screen. He wrote Green Lantern and directed Life as We Know It, which neither of which particularly set the world aflame. He's done much better on TV with The Flash and Arrow, which gets him a little bit of a, a little bit of leeway here. Um, but why, why, you know, um, I'm trying to, well, anyway. Aren't these things good until you see them? You know what I mean? Why, why, why he might have a take on it. That might he be, might have a take on it. And yeah. to be honest, the, the way to do it, I guess, would be to try the ending that they rejected in 1986. So the stage play has a much more downbeat ending. Mm. Let me just say that the cast all reprise the song somewhere that's green and it means something different this time Um, but uh, audiences apparently find that too depressing in 1986 so they kind of left it out so you could have a whole new take that involves that but just I just know that's my (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, that's amazing. Oh, we should have something like that every week. <laughs> this new story just ends with you going, no, no, no don't fancy that. Um, but yeah, bash, just, bush. you know, I, I just, I can't, in particular, I tell you what, I, I'm very, I'm really, really struggling to think who could be a better Audrey than Ellen Green. Um, she she looks the part, she's tiny and sort of frail looking, and then she opens her mouth and belts out these huge numbers like nothing you've ever heard. Like to the extent where she actually performed on stage a couple of years ago with Jake Gyllenhaal. And they did Suddenly Seymour, which is one of my karaoke classics. <laughs> and <laughs> she does it much better. Uh, okay. Yeah, so she was singing Suddenly Seymour with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And basically blew him off stage. I mean, and he's quite a good singer, actually. Uh, and, and, and when she's actually sort of like let loose, it was, it was honestly like someone had just, you know, hmm. opened one of the, you know, those doors and adverts and you open it and there's this huge blast of air and people are flung backwards. Yeah. That. It was that, basically. So, wow. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I am I am I am of course open minded and looking forward to this new interpretation, but I'm I'm super skeptical. So I'm I'm really <laughs> hoping that they do it justice because it's great. Yeah. I think Anna Kendrick could do well. Uh I don't know if her voice is big enough. She's got a gorgeous voice. I don't know if it's if she's got that capacity for oomph that you need. I think she can oomph. Oh, you say. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so that that is a thing that is happening. That is a thing that is happening. Hey, speaking of things that are happening, okay. Uh, Transformers: The Last Night. Can someone explain the trailer to me? Well, let's talk about all the trailers come out this week, with okay. the exception of Spider-Man: Homecoming, because that's going to be up just as this this podcast goes uh, live. Mm-hmm. We know that's happening, so sorry about that. But we have seen what fifteen seconds of the trailer mm. for Spider-Man: Homecoming. Looks very Spider-Man-y. Sure. Um, little concerned about how um, you know how the lengths are going to to make it hip and cool with Peter Parker being like you know doing taking selfies and talking to the camera and yeah. you know his his phone his camera phone presumably. Uh, but you know we'll see we'll see you know he's 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 young he's yeah. hip he's with it. Um, see, Andrew Garfield has been promoting silence over the past few weeks. Has been saying how disappointed he was. Yeah. With his two takes on it. Yeah, how they left the character behind and oh, yeah, I mean, because it genuinely means a lot to him, doesn't it? Yeah, which is a, a real shame, a real shame. I thought he was a fine Peter Parker. You know, he was just let down by the movies. Uh, I think that, that around him that that just weren't up to scratch. Mm. Uh, but hopefully, this one will be good. We we like the Tom Holland Spider Man that we saw briefly in Civil War. Um, we did. I, I, it's amazing that they got a historian to play <laughs> a 19-year-old. No, no, it's the director. It, it always surprised oh. me. His dad is Dominic Holland. Isn't yes. It? It, it was always, if you don't know him, he's on the kind of a, a stalwart of breakfast TV in the mornings. He's a kind of pundit kind of person. Yeah, he's a stand-up. Yeah. He's a, yeah. I met him very briefly on the set of The Impossible. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, yeah, interesting, interesting guy. Dominic Holland. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed for this one. Uh, Happy Hogan, we know, is in the trailer. So I wonder if this trailer, you'll know, obviously, listeners, because you'll, be, you'll have seen it by the time you're listening to this. Um, but I wonder if they're going to hint at any other MCU people. We know that Robert Downey Jr. is in the film as Tony Stark. I wonder if we're going to see Tony Stark. I don't know how big a part Stark's going to play in this movie, but... It's going to be intriguing to find out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's 15 seconds of that trailer. Um, uh, but we had, what, three big trailers out over the week. So we had The Mummy, Tom Cruise yeah, in The Mummy. We had Transformers The Last Night, and we had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Anything? Am I missing anything? Or is that, that was the big three, right? Yeah, those are the yeah. big ones. Those are yeah. the big ones. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Those are the Christopher big ones. And... 
All right. So let's talk about the first one that you mentioned. Yeah. Transformers. I don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> I'm so confused. I mean, I get that there's time travel. Yeah. I think. There's King Arthur. There's King Arthur, mm-hmm. of course, and Hitler and Transformers. And yeah. it, Optimus Prime is under mind control or has a clone, an evil clone? An evil, is that what you're guessing? I don't know All right, anymore. so the, the trailer for this is just a, a succession of very pretty images. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'd say one thing, Bay can he's shoot a, the hell out of stuff. He's a shooter, yeah, he guy. really oh, is. My terrific. God. Terrific. Uh, and so Earth appears to be in the grip of a war with the Transformers. <laughs> yes. And Optimus Prime has left the planet which he did at the end of the last movie but he's like floating dead in space he's because fl- well, he's floating in space or somebody else is floating dead in space because it was suggested to me by a Transformers superfan hi Sanam that Optimus Prime has an evil clone <laughs> yep that's right Optimus Prime right. <laughs> yes so um, that so how, could how, be a thing that's happening and how does Mark Wahlberg fit into all this I don't know but if you saw that sort of ED209 figure there at, at one point in the trailer maybe like he's helping make because he was a bit of a tinkerer a bit of an inventor maybe he's helping make things to fight the baddie Transformers <laughs> The, we, the Decepticons. Yes. We are so up on this. But I know it's interesting because it's, it's a teaser trailer, but it's a two and a half minute teaser trailer. And uh, none of the teaser trailers this week. I mean, they're all teasers. Guardians was a teaser. The Mummy mm. was a teaser. We got no sense of the overall plot of the film, really. Uh, but I got no sense that there is a plot in <laughs> Transformers The Last Night. It's, 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 it looks fantastic. It looks brilliant. Mm. There's a bit where Optimus Prime, because he is in the trailer, they go, Optimus Prime has left us. He's floating in space, um, presumably because he's looking for Cybertron or a USB port or something. And then he he obviously comes back. Yeah. And then something happens in the film, whether he's under mind control or whether it's an evil clone or whether... Like me, he's just sick of Bumblebee's shit after <laughs> after five movies. He decides Could to try and ladder. stab Bumblebee in the face, yeah. and I am all for that. You are a monster, sir. A monster. I'm all for it. Bumblebee, you're rubbish, mate. I, I, I genuinely... I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'll, obviously, I'll go and see it and find out, but I, have, I just don't know what's happening, and I've never <laughs> felt so unmoored. <laughs> you know. Don't worry, we've got plenty of time. Oh, plenty of time. Goodness. We'll find out. We'll find yeah. out. Look, we'll Akiva Goldsman has written the story for this. We're in safe hands. He's got it. It's fine. It's all good. But um, also, there's um, the prospect of Tony Hopkins playing... Would seems to be playing Winston Churchill. Now we know that Churchill's in this film, and uh, Tony Hopkins' voiceover is throughout the trailer, and it sounds like he's half bothering to do a Churchill voice, and then half, ah, nah, don't really fancy it to be honest. And uh, you know, and there's a shot of him at one point looking like he could be Churchill, but again, like he only got halfway through the makeup and then went, no, I'm I'm done now, and uh, and then that's it. So that could be intriguing. I mean, yeah, listen, it's it's definitely intriguing in the sense that there's all of this crazy stuff happening and I want to understand yeah. more. So, that, I mean, I guess job done, trailer. Let, let you me know. remind you of Empire. Every day is Christmas Eve. Exactly. I know, right? What yeah. about Christmas Day, though? Are we not allowed Christmas Day? Yeah, well, yeah that's, our, that's our tragedy. We never get the <laughs> Christmas Day. Um, so there's Transformers last night. And then we have uh, the trailer for the, the Mummy. So this is the uh, the reboot of The Mummy. Yes. Um, the universal 
studio's version of this because obviously there's been lots of mummies throughout the years. Uh, obviously, they, they made the Barlas Karloff version back in 1932, mm-hmm. I want to say. Then 1999, obviously, Stephen Summers with Brandon Fraser, which was a kind of Indiana Jones pastiche, not necessarily a horror film. I like the first film. And then yeah, well, there, the, the, other the, films the, exist in that franchise. I, I don't think that they do, but um, but the first one is great. It's lovely. There's a great gag, though. In, uh, is it the first one or the second one? Where uh, John Hanna comes out of a uh, a temple and sees lots of possessed people going, Imhotep, And he just Imhotep, goes in with and he, them. And he goes in with them and starts going, Oh, Imhotep, and blends in, disappears. Seamlessly. Luck, he's got the grail already. Um, it's... Is that the first or second? That's the first one. Is that the first yeah. one? The first one has all the good bits. It has the cinema's yeah. best librarian. It has, well, she's kind of terrible with the whole knocking over the bookcases. But other than that, she's fantastic. Uh, she's not as good as librarian Last Crusade. Oh, That's he's right. Oh, he's pretty good That's too. He's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got it. Nailed okay, it. two good yeah. librarians. Cinema's best librarians. And you've you've really. changed your tune in Last Crusade pretty quickly. Well, no, that, it's, that's a, the bar's high. It's a very hard bar. <laughs> If you're a Scottish Sorry. lot, then I am Mickey Mouse. <laughs> not a librarian. What, what, not what I find interesting about this new film mm. is that it's set in the modern world, as opposed to yeah. some kind of Indiana Jones pastiche. So I think that's kind of interesting. Asian yeah. curse versus iPhones versus yeah, you know, that's absolutely. an interesting dynamic, I, isn't it? So the only thing that really confused me in this, like I got that Tom Cruise is in a plane crash because it's a Wednesday, so obviously he's in a plane crash. I, you know, do not get on a plane with Tom Cruise. Never get on a plane with Tom Cruise. Um, but uh, I was confused by the whole resurrection thing. That seemed. All right, so I went to LA last week, uh, which is why I wasn't on the pod last week, and I spoke to Alex Kurtzman for a trailer breakdown which you can now read on the website and obviously I got a whole lot of I can't tell you that uh, without revealing too much but the implication is that at some point in the movie whether it's in the plane crash or in the aftermath of the plane crash or just before it uh, or at some point anyway uh, Tom Cruise is cursed by the mummy Oh. And he and the mummy become inextricably linked in some way. And therefore, that allows him to stay alive. Uh, and also, it allows your protagonist to go toe-to-toe with your antagonist, who has a bunch of scary powers, and and still live. I so, see. So that's interesting. There's a number of things about this movie that uh, that certainly intrigue me. One, modern day. Although, as Alex Kurtzman pointed out to me, the Boris Karloff movie was set in modern day for yeah, the time. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. But um, that, that, that intrigues me. You're absolutely right about that. Um, the idea that Cruz... This is interesting. Because this is meant to be the first part of Universal's new Monsters Shared Universe. Yes. Uh, the, the Universal the Monsters... The, the, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> <laughs> um, the MCU, confused. if that's you will. Not, that's not confusing. MSU, Monsters Shared Universe. Shared Monsters Universe, SMU. Universal Monsters Shared Cinematic Universe. The UMSCU. Un- the UMSCU. All right, the, the UMSCU. UMSCU. Okay, there so it's the first in the UMSCU. And, uh, and I just had this idea, on, uh, I tweeted the other day, going, wouldn't it be cool if Tom Cruise was in all the, all the movies? Uh, he was the he's the thing that links them together, right? Ah, Tom Cruise is the okay, thing that links yeah. them together. You know, it's Tom Cruise versus Dracula. It's Tom Cruise versus Frankenstein's monster. So he's the Abbott and Costello of this franchise. He's the Abbott and Costello's franchise. And then someone else tweeted me, and I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, someone tweeted me going, "What if he's Van Helsing?" And now, as so I started thinking, hang on a second, you might be onto something here because if you remember, cast your mind back a couple of years ago, Tom Cruise was attached to a remake of a reboot of Van Helsing at Universal 
to be written and directed by Alex Kurtzman. That project seems to have disappeared, gone off the radar. Hmm. Or has it? Wow. Is the big reveal of this movie that Tom Cruise is somehow a uh, a reincarnation of or maybe actual Van Helsing and that he will go on to fight all the, the scary monsters? Isn't it weird? I, I find it weird sometimes how big the name Van Helsing has become. Well, he he's is not like I know he's in Dracula and everything, but he's not like the part. protagonist of... Not like that, Chris. Oh, okay. He's not like, you know, really the hero. He's cool. He's very cool. He's old and he wears tweed. He comes in. He takes no shit. He knows what's going down. Yeah, that's true. He's he's pretty he's pretty cool. He's much better. He than looks that. like Hugh Jackman. I mean, I guess yeah. When or you, Tony when Hopkins. Like <laughs> or Peter Cushing. That's really I, confusing. I think I think it's more the fact that you know he's been played by amazing people over the years, and he has become indelibly linked with vampire hunters and you know the notion yeah. of fighting monsters and. And he's, you know, he looks like Peter Cushing. That's that's what I think of. When I think of of Van Helsing, but it's um, that's a theory. Yeah, mm. by uh, no means fact. Yeah, but could be interesting. It's gonna be like Westworld, where all the theories turn out to be true. And- <laughs> <laughs> it might be Alex Christman, who obviously listens to this podcast, is probably going, oh, oh, Twitter, you've beat me to it. It could be interesting uh, because we know that uh, Russell Crowe in this movie, we see him in the trailer, we and he's do. playing Doctor Henry Ed- Jekyll. Yeah. And we will see him as Edward Hyde at some point. So this is the whole idea yeah. that they're going to do a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen type thing. They're going to bring in a lot of characters uh, who, you know, have no co- copyright, I guess, anymore, uh, or in the public domain. Uh, but not not to trump Chris, but mm. I, I also talked to Alex Kurtzman. <gasps> and he was saying he didn't have a movie until he made The Mummy female. He couldn't find a way to make it fresh. Okay. And the best thing in that trailer, he's a... He's yeah, she's Sophia, great. Sophia, but his eyes going into four... Her pupils go. Mm. This is it's terrific. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, she looks really cool actually. Yeah. So fingers crossed for that. I think she's going to be very, very good. You know, the movie itself, we'll wait and see. But uh, I'm intrigued, and if that does turn out to be the the case that it is Cruz in whatever form fighting the monsters, because you, you think about this, they can't really just have a monster movie and then a Dracula movie and then a mummy movie and then a Dracula movie and then a Frankenstein movie a Wolfman movie and then expect these evil things to come together to fight a force greater than them I mean it, it has to be would you think someone picking them off one by one a hero fighting them rather yeah. than yeah. you know yeah it doesn't make much sense that they'd get together really does it because like you know anywhere the mummy felt comfortable Dracula would be well out of place like it just wouldn't really fit yeah yeah yeah. and if, any, if anyone's been following Nick Dessemlian's Twitter feed this week he's, he's charting the name changes in Tom Cruise's character which started as Tyler Colt and moved to Nick Morton yeah. so it could well go to Van Helsing <laughs> why not well, yeah. why not Nick Morton Abraham Van Helsing it's it's just a, a small a small step um, and then the trailer that really really uh, I, I loved this week that I just thought was amazing uh, made me laugh a lot and I've seen it quite a lot is the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer um, I know it's it's preaching to the choir with me but I thought this was absolutely fantastic I thought it was fun I could have done with you know Gamora getting a line. I knew you'd say that. Well, seriously. I knew you'd say that. I said to my... Oh, God, here we go. Drinking game. I said to my wife. I said to my wife. (laughs) Someone's going to say something about Gamora not having a line in this trailer. Someone's going to say it. And I hadn't seen it. And now you've done it. You know why? Because you're a woke bae. I'm... Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. (laughs) Um, But no, genuinely. Like, she's a character too. Everybody else gets a little character moment. She does cool stuff. She, does she? Is there some cool running stuff? She gets some cool stuff. Not know, really. But, you know, that aside, 
it's a really, really funny trailer. Yes. And the, it just makes you yeah. realise that these characters are enormous fun to be with. Yes, they are. And I, I cannot wait to see them again. That, that so whole, that kind of post-credits thing where the three of them are talking about secret feelings and mm. that's very fun. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. And just, you know, the idea that, you know, Rocket and Groot, Baby Groot, who's the cutest thing. Baby Groot is super cutest cute. Cutest thing around. Yeah. Why would Rocket entrust such a clearly, clearly dangerous and uh, important task to a, an idiot tree? Maybe it's maybe he's not an idiot. You're just you're just sizest, Chris. I, am. I, I have a question. Okay. Maybe you can answer this. So, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy... Not to give too much away, but Groot is... Oh, you just spoiled a film five weeks old. <laughs> you did. You did, in okay, fairness. But you told me to. <laughs> oh, yeah. If I told you to stick your head in the fire, would you do that as well? No. Okay. Uh, so, Guardians of the Galaxy, at the end of it, Groot is scattered into his component parts, okay? Yes. So, uh, Rocket picks up part of Groot. He, he wants to keep part of Groot. And then that awakens at the end of the movie and will grow into the baby Groot that we see in, in the film. Mm. Does that happen with every part of Groot that's scattered on Nova Prime? Well, we are Groot, isn't it? But was it just luck that he picked the one branch that grows into baby Groot? No, I'm pretty sure that um, Groot's a sort of a... You know, it's like one of those uh, giant funguses that grows underground. Mm -hmm. That, like, all of it is part of the whole... It's a a synecdoche of itself, if you Mm. will. Yes, that that, that explains it. I think (laughs) I got it. But you're right. I, I, I noticed the Gamora thing as well. She gets to run up and jump and, and stab at some stuff and she gets to look demure as that funny line plays out with, yeah. with Star-Lord. But, yeah, it's and a shame. You, what were the big new elements? What were the things that you hadn't seen well, before? Pro- and- there are no new elements and no. that's the interesting thing that they're, they're basically, with this trailer, they're going, these guys are back. And Remember these guys? Yeah. You love these guys. Uh, they're such fun. Look at them and they're having more fun and you want to be with them and we're holding back all the other new stuff again no sense of story no sense of what the hell is going on no Kurt Russell there is one new character Mantis in fairness we do see Mantis at the end of the the trailer she's the one who goes I can tell what you're feeling Um, but otherwise yeah it's still uh, still a lot to be uh, to be revealed and hopefully we get to hear Gamora speak next time well we live in hope maybe (laughs) maybe she has a line somewhere I, I suspect she'll have a line Maybe even two. <gasps> Women. God, or maybe she'll be a pivotal part of the movie, Helen. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> right. Uh, what else? Uh, well, there was news about the Oscars. Uh, okay. Which is that Jimmy Kimmel will be hosting in 2017, which sort of seems like, okay, yeah, makes sense, I, I guess. He's a late-night TV host. There is a history of hiring late-night TV hosts to yeah. do the Oscars he hasn't recently disgraced himself by ruffling Trump's hair uh, and he has a long standing tradition of doing a big show around the Oscars yeah, is- where he gets everybody in and does yeah. a big thing yeah. with them so it sort of fits if you haven't seen by the way the Handsome Men's Club which he did a few years ago I highly recommend watching it yes and all the stuff I, he does with I Montana. don't know that much about him other than is he spiky is he uh, he's, he can he's, be kind of, a little he's kind of between bit. Fallon and he's, he's not as playful as Fallon but he's not as spiky as Letterman he's somewhere in between that's probably he? fair yeah. I guess oh, he's, he's smarter than Fallon but then again this cup of water is smarter than Fallon um, it's it's. I think it's a really good choice I think he's he's he can be very very funny um, he can play around with Hollywood he uh, has a, a enough relationships in Hollywood to be able to playfully play with people but also I think he could be quite sarky when he wants to be yeah um, yeah I think this has been this is a good choice it's a good choice 
I think it'll be. I think it'll be fine. And what's interesting as well is that they're throwing this thing together really, really quickly. Yeah, I, there was mm. a lot of stories in the trades about how late they are. Yeah, and getting this together. Yeah, they only just hired the producers what a month yeah. ago, um, and now the host. And we'll see how it goes. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you need a bit more spontaneity because sometimes it feels so overcooked and it really doesn't mm. work. So, fingers crossed. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, should we um, move on to this week's guest? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, he was snowed in, but he dug himself out again. No, no? sure. No? Go with that. Yeah, carry on. No, you've broken. <laughs> you've broken us down, Chris. Just go with it. Uh, time now for this week's guest. He is a directorial legend, one who never shies away from tackling political hot potatoes and asking the big questions. Questions like who killed JFK? What was the point of the Vietnam War? And will anyone notice if Alexander the Great has an Irish accent? Yes, it's Oliver Stone. He's back this week with Snowden, the story of notorious whistleblower Edward Snowden, uh, who's played in this movie by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We sent our very own crusading investigative type, Nick DeSemlin, along to talk to Oliver Stone. Enjoy. So we're very, very happy to uh, welcome Oliver Stone to the Empire podcast this week to talk about Snowden. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. I have a Rubik's Cube question for you, first of all. Yeah. Because it struck me watching the film that if there was merchandise for Snowden, you could do a very nice Edward Snowden Rubik's Cube. <laughs> right. I'm sure the Rubik's Cubes people had, had a little extra business uh, around the world. But, uh, yeah, this was a dramatic device we used because uh, the truth has to be concealed. It's really, he's under indictment. And uh, he just doesn't want to give that kind of information away. But he suggested this is a parallel activity that would work for the purposes of what he did. There's a really nice introductory shot of him. The first, the first you see of Snowden is is a yeah. close up of his hand on the Rubik's yeah. cube. Was that your idea to introduce him like that? Well, we thought of it. Sure, it was. A, it was always. It was in the script. Sure, why not do it there? Th- this movie, at first glance, and and indeed while watching it, seems very much in your wheelhouse. Uh, the type of yeah. kind of thing you're interested in. Yeah. Was it a no-brainer for you to? Not to at do all. It? No, this was a very difficult movie to get made. It took two and a half years. The concept alone, uh, first of all, getting involved in it would took a long. Took I had to talk to Mr. Uh, to Ed and repeatedly. I went three times to Moscow to understand, and, and I suppose we had to trust each other and warm up to each other to the degree that he would reveal to us it is his story. So it is, and it is told from his point of view. It's a subjective movie. Uh, of course, we checked as much as we could, but the NSA is not talking and about it in any official capacity. Um, I, uh, it, it makes sense what he says. It makes sense. And he, he describes very methodically everywhere he worked and how he attained uh, information and participated in the programs. And, of course, he was in a, he's in a sliver of the programs. This is a gigantic agency with 30,000 people and a tremendous budget, by the way. So... Uh, it's even bigger than this. But what we see in just in his story are, is not only data mining on a global scale, uh, massive, uh, without democratic consent, but we also see uh, data, uh, uh, drone warfare and cyber warfare and the origins of that, because cyber warfare comes from that space. Uh, and it's a very dangerous thing we've started. In 2007 in Iran, we started using it. And is it true that, that during the making of this, you kind of concealed the project from the NSA a little bit? Yeah. You, you, well, we certainly didn't have our script online. Uh, we kept it offline, and we did everything possible to secure the script. We never had it in one piece. Uh, we sent sections to people, and when necessary, we would use uh, we would go we would go with codes 
and uh, encryption as much as possible. Did you have a code name for the film? Yes, we did. It Can was, you reveal that at this stage? I've never thought of that, revealing it. <laughs> it was called uh, Sasha. There we go. That's a big exclusive for us. Thank you. <laughs> Do, are you very kind of wary about what information you, you put online? And Well, we stayed offline, but the, I was always fearful that the film would, the script would be hacked first, because for a hacker, that's a bounty. I mean, it's the, Snowden is known as probably the greatest hacker in the world at, this, at that point. So to get a script of his, uh, in which he's involved, would be a, a coup and a bounty. Uh, and then I was worried about the film getting hacked and appearing two months before the film came out. Our film came out. as a, That would have been devastating, but it was also possible in this new world. And, and just going back to you in terms of watching your oeuvre again to prepare for the book, was, was there another film that you, that you looked at and thought, oh, I would have done that differently if I had another chance? Well, I did have another chance on Alexander. I took the chance myself and I built it into the DVD because it, the resolution is so good. You know, I'd love it to see it on a big screen, but I think we have to settle for any know, of the other a, a big any screen at home, if you, which is far better than it used to be. Other films I would have done differently, uh, not enough to recall uh, to say I would start over. No, no, I've always felt like I was doing it the best I could at the time. And I, I caught uh, Natural Born Killers on Netflix recently, yeah. and I think that really holds up. It's still great. Packs a real punch. That was, gives me a great energy uh, great uh, let me uh, if he makes me feel good let's talk <laughs> Thank i you. appreciate you saying that because i really love that movie and I, I always worry that when it's shown on tv or recycled that they'll miss the colors they won't get the right texture because it's so much uh, there's so many we play with the texture of that film so much you know that sometimes I've, i saw a bad screening of it once and it just destroyed the movie for me because it just didn't have the right light but so I, I'm glad you feel that way. Is there one of your films that you think has been unfairly maligned or underappreciated? Um, yeah, you turn. Heaven and Earth, uh, Nixon, none of those made money. They were beautiful films to me. Alexander what did very well, actually, internationally, so I'm not going to put that in that category, although it is a completely different cut. But those three, Nixon, U turn and uh, Heaven and Earth... Uh, abominable business but they were not sold right but doesn't matter Heaven and Earth is a beautiful film it makes you to me still makes me cry and it's an authentic story about a young girl who came from a poor village and she had an enormously complex life and she ended up in America and she goes back and forth now between two worlds uh, U-Turn is a lot of people still love it it's just a black black film I mean it's very very uh, dark but it's funny and uh great cast I'm a big fan of U10 Good. as well. well you've seen it yeah. oh yeah Wonderful. it's a Soleil Noir I call it <laughs> Black Sun kind of movie nice uh, and uh, you know Nixon uh, the English I particularly liked it it's a very my most mature film in terms of it's white men talking with haircuts it looks like a British play uh, strange haircuts and they, but it's very very true to Anthony Hopkins did a great job on that and a powerful film I mean, uh, Donald Trump pops up in Snowden. Uh, Donald Trump kind of makes a very quick appearance on a TV screen. And I was just wondering, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but what are your thoughts watching all this Trump stuff unfolding? And do you think, the, the, you know, do you think of it in terms of a film or what kind of film you would make out of it? You Europeans are fascinated by Donald Trump. He's certainly captured the imagination of the world, which shows he's a great reality TV performer, which I've always felt uh, he's 
bigger than life. He's a great salesman. I've met him. He was in actually he was in Wall Street. He was in a it's a, it was a deleted scene, not because of him, but because it was just overstuffing at that point. Wall Street number two. Uh, but uh, I I think uh, he's not my choice for public office. I don't. He's too erratic for that. But. Uh, uh, the you know his life would make a, a good movie one day, but I'm not sure I'm the right person to make it. I don't make president movies. I make mm. movies about situations that fascinate me. The Bush movie W was really because it was also to me like Snowden movie a crucial crucial time in American psyche when when we turned over the country to a, a guy who was not qualified to be president and uh, disastrous consequences at the beginning of the century with the Iraq war and the war on terror. But uh, Nixon also was fascinating me because of his power and his flaws and his insecurity. At the same time, his potential greatness. He could have been a better president. And there's kind of a lost Oliver Stone film in a way because you were going to make a Martin Luther King film. I was, and I had a beautiful... For a long time, I was. I actually wrote... And it didn't matter, it's... I wrote about 16, 1965 to 68 period, the last three years of his life when he, it moved, it, it, the struggle for him was about, it moved beyond civil rights, which was crucial, but that was his base, but it became a struggle against a system of power that was dictating the Vietnam War at that time. It was a concept of militarism, a concept of racism, and a concept of, of uh, poverty. Uh, uh, he was really uh, attacking the American way of business as well as, uh, and that was a big issue, big issue. It got him into a hell of a lot of hot water. And I think it brought him closer and closer to God, which is very important. I think it's a very spiritual movie. You'll see it if one day, and maybe. Is that still on the, on the back burner? Not on my back burner. I don't own it, but uh, I'd love to see something like that made. And um, what, what else are you kind of working on? There's a documentary in the works, I believe. Yeah, there's a documentary on Putin. I've met him uh, and filmed a f- uh, three, three, about 15 hours, and now I'm going to go back to some more. He's a, he's, a, he's a very interesting and pivotal figure that the Americans have insanely focused on as an enemy. As somebody who's met him, is he that person that, that gets painted Well, I painted think that's the surprise of the movie. I think he's a quite... You know, he's he's quite accessible and personable in his own way. And I think you have to understand that he is who he is. And uh, he's, as far as he's concerned, he's representing Russian interests, as I would if I was a leader of any country. You represent those interests. And you have to understand that the United States' interests are not to encourage a strong Russia, are not to encourage an independent Russia. So this is contrary to what the Russian concept of their own identity is. Yeah, interesting. And is there a feature film as well, beyond the Putin documentary? Uh, I can't say. I mean, I've written a couple of things. Uh, you know, I'm pushing pushing 70 now, mm. <laughs> getting older, and uh, I'd like to... Uh, you know, you only want to make a film if it really makes sense to make it, if there's a reason strong enough to do it because it's so difficult and the Snowden film kicked the shit out of me uh, I'm a little bit deflated uh, from that but yeah you know going back in there again you have to do it from love okay all right Oliver Stone thank you very much for joining us thank you thank you so that was Oliver Stone and that's kick off this week's review section with Snowden 
Yeah, so uh, this stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the um, computer whiz himself. Um, very much sort of timely look at uh, what he did and, and his impact. Um, and it sort of follows his life uh, a little bit further back than you might be aware of. So it starts off when he uh, wants to be a soldier. He's very much a sort of George W. Bush patriot. Um, and uh, and then he gets injured and that kills his dreams of serving in the military. So instead he uses his computer skills to become a government intelligence agent. He falls in love with a spirited photographer uh, played by Shailene Woodley. Uh, and all seems to be well in Edward Snowden's life until he realises just how far his employer, the NSA's uh, snooping goes and uh, comes to believe that he has to do something about this. He has to kind of get the truth out there. Uh, so we actually open the film um, with the famous meeting in Hong Kong, what, three years ago, between him and Zachary Quinto's Glenn Greenwald mm-hmm. and Melissa Leo's Laura Poitras. And uh, they're basically uh, meeting him to sort of try and verify what the heck it is he's he's offering them, what the heck it is that he's claiming and uh, and begin what became the process of, of his revelations. So it's uh, that's the setup, and then we flash back to 2004 and then we have, you know, we go, th- we go back through his life from there. I think what's, what Oliver Stone does is try and put his personal life a little bit more front and centre than we have been aware of, I think, as an audience before. Um, I so guess that's what Laura Portress's film doesn't do, does it? Exactly, that's yeah. That's about the... The revelations yeah, yeah. and not and not about him as a, yeah. as a human being, yeah. So I think the, the Shailene Woodley is very good and she kind of helps make him a human a little bit more than I think we have before Um, so it's almost a kind of a love story section there in the middle but then of course uh, global politics (laughs) intervene and kind of get in the way of that I guess Um, sometimes it's a little bit on the nose as you kind of expect from an Oliver yeah, Stanfield, that's, don't you? Yeah, that's powerful course isn't it? Yeah, but a really really good cast, Reese Evans is in there as well Nick Um, Cage Nick Cage, yeah, yeah, very briefly um Weirdly, Snowden himself has a appearance which is confusing slightly when you've just been watching Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but that's fine. I mean, he was heavily involved in the production and consulted heavily, so I guess sort of makes sense in a weird way. But um, but yeah, this was this was fine, but not kind of one of Stone's best. I think it's fair to say we gave mm. it three stars. Three stars. What do we really give it, Helen? Hmm. Hmm. If oh, we I'm dug looking. a little deeper, yeah, yeah, I'll it's, be blowing the whistle. It says three. Oh, yeah. it says three. Yeah. Does he actually blow a whistle at any point in the film? It's a real <laughs> what, a demented <laughs> football referee. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that would stop been, that NSA. That would have been brilliant if instead of like sneaking things out in a Rubik's cube, he'd mm. sneaks his secrets out in a whistle. That would yeah. have been amazing. Yeah. yeah, that Rubik's cube thing's cool though. It, it is cool. Yeah, yeah. that was really good. Do you want to discover it the other week? I have a North Face rucksack. Okay. And on the uh, straps, you can actually clip the straps together and it forms on it. It's a whistle. There's a whistle Ooh. on your straps. So if you're up a mountain and you get lost, you can yeah. blow the whistle. Did However, you... it's a rubbish whistle. So it literally goes... <laughs> awful. Did you know that they make uh, rucksacks now with an avalanche survival kit in them? So if an avalanche hits, these giant sort of balloons explode on either side of your backpack and apparently improve what? your chances of survival by 95%. I need that for the tube. Yeah, exactly. everybody needs that for the tube. <laughs> Can you imagine? That sounds like something Sheldon Cooper would have in the Big Bang Theory, isn't it? Amazing. Where were we? Oh, yes, three stars. Three stars, yes. or is it is a recommendation. For Snowden, or was it? Um, and next up we have Office Christmas Party. No conspiracy here. This is a big pile of Christmas poo. 
it's Who a wants bit to take much, it? isn't it? Two stars. Yeah, it's like yeah, two so, stars though. So right. uh, Jen- Jennifer Aniston is the CEO of Zenitech and she's shutting down, shutting down the local branch. So to save it, her brother, played by TJ Miller, mm-hmm. uh, gangs up with um, Jason Bateman to throw a massive party to impress a client who could save all their jobs. Oh. I think that's that's the gist of it. That is the gist, you are yeah. correct, yeah. And um, uh, it's a bit like what watching having your, your sort of nose pressed up against the party you know, you know all everyone's having tons of fun except you really. <laughs> it's a bit like that but props to Kate McKinnon who, who kind of as a kind of a, uh, what's it, a HR person is very very funny so mm. she's kind mm. of the diamond in the poo it's a bit of a shame isn't it because it's such a great cast it's a really good cast really then, good cast yeah yeah. As, as you get with many comedies it's a bit of a third act you think, problem, you think, you think yeah there's a car chase thrown in there's all sorts thrown in but you think that um mm. Office Christmas parties are ripe for yeah the dreadfulness yeah. of them and the, the the awfulness and yeah oh, it's, it's the, the last episode of The Office is a Christmas party isn't it so yeah like, yeah it that's is. a nice way of doing it. that's how that's how you do it the embarrassment of Christmas party well this yeah. one's just a bit a bit raucous and I don't know it's just kind of interesting it feels to me like one of those American comedies that is just largely improvised and they just went oh we got really funny people we've got TJ Miller TJ Miller can improvise anything yeah. just okay McKinnon yes yeah. just go for it yeah. whereas I, I saw some I saw um, Olivia Munn turns up mm. she's the office crush and, yeah uh, I saw what did I see the other day I saw um, I saw Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping which I managed to miss uh, when it came out at the cinema and that's a really funny film but more importantly it feels like a film that yeah has a little bit of improv in it no, no doubt but it feels really tightly scripted at the same time. There are actual jokes that the Lonely Island sat down and wrote. Mm. And it feels to me, like, oh, I've said this in the podcast before, I'm banging the, the same drum, but it just feels to me like there's a, there's a dearth of that in certainly American comedy at the moment. We'll anyway. be talking about another one soon. Spoiler. Will we? Yep. Which one? Another American comedy that may or may not suffer the same problem. Spoiler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which one? Can't say I'm embarrassed. Oh, I know what one it is. Oh, that one. I know yeah. which one it is. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Why that? Right. I'm not embarrassed. I didn't say anything. I'm just guessing. Should we move on to Birth of a Nation? God, let's. Yes. Let's Hello. do that. Two stars. Two stars I, I, for I obviously. Yeah. I thought it was when it came out in 1924. <laughs> <laughs> This okay. is The Birth of a Nation. Oh. Oh, it's okay. a little bit different, uh, a lot different from D.W. Griffith's. Uh, clan-heavy version of American history. This is Nate Parker's take on the Nat Turner slave revolt of 1831. So it's set in Virginia. Uh, Nat Turner, who's also played by Nate Parker, um, is a plantation preacher and he comes gradually to feel like armed rebellion is the only possible way forward for for them, those living in bondage. Um, and so he and his fellow slaves rise up against their tyrannical masters um, with predictably violent consequences on both sides. Um, it takes a long time to get there, though. This is this is um, not a hugely long film. It's two hours, and I think you know some versions of this would have been three hours. Um, but it does take you know the, the 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 slave uprising is the end and not the beginning, if you will, of yeah. the story. It's a very well made uh, film in a way that feels slightly old fashioned. Now there was talk of. Parker talking to Mel Gibson before he made this and discussing Braveheart and apparently they they genuinely discussed um, how how Mel made Braveheart and it has a little bit of that feel to it it has it feels 
like a biopic very much in the Braveheart vein. Right. Um, and coming after, you know, a film like 12 Years a Slave, there's a, there's a huge difference in tone as a result. This feels much more... S- Bombastic is the wrong word, but it's much more towards bombast. Broader. And, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. broader, I think, is... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but it, it premiered at Sundance this year, didn't it? Yeah. It sold for a record price. Yes. And... And that was less than he could have got because he wanted the right sort of, you know, launch for it and mm. and the right sort of support because it was being talked up as an Oscar contender. Now, due to controversial events in Parker's own history, that mm-hmm. buzz seems to have died down a lot because yeah. he is inextricably linked with this film. It is, yeah. it is, he is writer, director, producer, and star. You can't talk about this film without talking about him, yeah. and and I think that has hurt the film's Oscar chances. That is not to say that it is not worth seeing as uh, as a piece of cinema, but it is a really tough watch because if Twelve, Twelve Years a Slave emphasised the sort of the psychological brutality of slavery I mean there was there was physical abuse in there don't get me wrong but it, what what really was chilling about that was the removal of freedom and the and just the, the the damage that that does to your psyche this one is very much more at the physical end of the spectrum and the, the violence is extremely physical and it, it honestly does recall the passion of the Christ at times in, ter- in terms of the, the sheer amount of brutality and whipping and beating and blood and and all of that kind of um, violence and it's and that's that's useful and important in a way because we shouldn't overlook that side of this inhumane yeah. uh, system. Um, but at the same time, I find it almost slightly less effective in some ways because it, it it I think it's less good at getting into the psychological side of it and right. less good at showing the but effects of a lack of freedom on your personality it is an important subject and there should be a yeah. lot of different ways through that's it, true that's it true have to, yeah you know there shouldn't be one monolithic way of looking at it, it no that's be, absolutely true be, yeah. um i think i think given parker's own um experience uh, the film's treatment of its female characters which isn't brilliant is particularly unfortunate but it is um unquestionably powerful and it will really shake you and it's very very tough to watch which i think is the point and i think is the yeah. purpose of it and it does look at a uh, an overlooked um piece of history uh, yeah. which deserves another look um so we gave it four stars which i think yeah, is I think is fair if you see one film this week you'd see that yeah absolutely out of, out of these ones definitely um it is flawed but at the same time it's extremely powerful so there you go then four stars for the birth of a nation uh, and that is it for this week's Emperor podcast uh, join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined by a double whammy we'll have Forrest Whitaker one of the stars of Rogue One a Star Wars story Ooh. that's very exciting and, uh, and Ricky Gervais talking about the DVD and Blu-ray release of David Brent Life on the Road and that is a cracking interview uh, we haven't done Forrest Whitaker I presume that Forrest Whitaker will be equally cracking but we Who can, knows? We can talk up to him by Ghost Dog. It'll be brilliant. It'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. Uh, and also keep an eye out for our Rogue One Spoiler Special as well, which is coming your way Monday 19th of December. So three days after the film comes out uh, around the world. And we'll be talking to Gareth Edwards, the director of that film. So very, very excited about that as well. Until next week, though, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. Uh, it's goodbye from Ian Freer. Keiko Bako. <laughs> Mm, cake it's amazing uh, and it's goodbye for me I'm off to launch an unprovoked assault on the Winchester Brothers see how Helen likes it how dare you you came a Jack McCoy you come a Jack McCoy you better not miss that's I all, didn't that's all I'm going to say it's all true that's all I'm going to say he's a liberal 
what's wrong with that? So many things. You're so unwoke right now. I'm such a woke bay. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.